Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another audio installment of Tiptoe Through the Tulips with your hosts, Aaron Cunningham, Matthias Crook, and Travis Wright. Hey. This week, oh, um, did you want to greet the people, Travis? You said my name. Hey, okay. can I just say, I love how every time you start off an episode, I feel like I'm uh, at a three-ring circus, and you're the circus master, because you're always coming out like, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Yeah, I, uh, it just it makes me crack up every time. It's a little known fact, but I actually wax my mustache and curl oh, it. Oh no, up. that's not a little known fact. Everybody knows it. Oh yeah, well, but no, 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 no. What what they don't know is I don't do it in like everyday real life. But any day that I'm gonna <laughs> do the intro to the podcast, I have to wax and curl my mustache to get the full carnival barker effect. No, I I can see it. I can see you in a top hat. I can see a monocle. I can see one of those tuxedos uh, with the big long tails down the back. Yeah, I know you. I know you well I, enough. Yeah. I just want to say I have the power to derail this podcast by just saying, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I've just, I've noticed it the last couple episodes. I'm like, wow, he, he really sounds like he's welcoming me to a circus. <laughs> tread lightly, folks. <laughs> so uh, speaking of treading lightly, we're going to go ahead and wade into the topics we're covering today we're actually in chapter nine and we're going to cover the totality of it uh so section one is about the temper and error of the libertiness who take to themselves the name of spiritual briefly described and the refutation uh my my copy is really weird actually it uh it gives two different parts to section one uh, but both of them are titled as point one. It also is going to discuss the apostles and all true Christians and how they have embraced the written word. And then section two is going to talk about the spirit of Christ uh, and the doctrine of the written word on the minds of the godly. And then section three is going to talk about the impositions of Satan uh, and how they cannot be detected without the aid of Scripture. And uh, finally, uh, we'll also talk about the words of Paul and uh, how his writings mingle with the scriptures and an explanation of some of Paul's writings as well. So kicking things off uh, in section one, uh, I highlighted the first sentence right out of the gate. It says, those who, rejecting the scripture, imagine that they have some peculiar way of penetrating to God are to be deemed not so much under the influence of error as madness. And I thought that this was fascinating, uh, and immediately my mind actually went to some uh, particular sects of, uh, of allegedly Christian denominations that believe in personal revelation, uh, and that some modes of scripture or uh, religiously, pun intended, adhering to the canonized doctrine of scripture is antiquated and that their personal re revelation should be superior to that of what has already been canonized in scripture and calvin here i believe calls this madness did you guys have any reactions to that yeah i, I did oh, sorry. sorry go ahead if you want to go i just no i just want to say i highlighted the exact same thing and uh yeah i think you're spot on with that aaron yeah i i, I wrote down in quotes uh, they believe in the, the they believe the Holy Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard that um, from people who they 
they claim that the spirit still speaks and it speaks all of these different things. Um, and if you, if you do this, you're putting God in a box is what they say. Um, but it's so funny because it seems like those who, who claim that, uh, who claim personal revelation, it's almost like the, the spirit is always contradicting himself. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's funny because something I've noticed, um, in starting this podcast and just, um, I, I was telling Aaron and Matthias, I mean, I'm going full blown right now. I've got like four books on order and I'm actually reading for once in my life, but <laughs> something I've noticed is, yeah, I know somehow I've made it this far. Um, <laughs> something I have noticed is that, uh, basically, and when I've been asking you guys questions, you guys have been more than gracious to answer them, but basically it boils down to, I don't know, what does the scripture say? And, and are you asking what the scripture says about this? No, that was just a point of context to say, I mean, like, those who would, the, the scripture is put in such a way, and like, people say it contradicts itself. People say all these different things about scripture and how, you know, it's it's flawed. And I'm just like, if you actually took the time to delve in deep and go into what it says, you would have the information you need. Not only that, we have commentary on it from plenty of people who know what they're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, um, and I think that Calvin it may even be a little too easy on him here. Um, he he says they're insane, but I mean, a lot of the time I think that they're just the, that people that claim this are just straight up lying um, for for their own personal gain. Um, I wouldn't say that it's an error or madness for a lot of the people that I've seen or known. You know, I I think I agree with that, or I think I would add to that um, they're well-meaning people who are being taken advantage of by people who are lying and promoting this particular idea. I would especially hold accountable the individuals that are promoting the notion that um, your personal revelation is more valid than what's written in Scripture. Uh, and then I almost kind of pity the people who believe that, those congregants, uh, who search so hard and so desperately to have a personal revelation so that they can feel like they are part of this holy community. Um, and, and so I see it as really destructive for two reasons. One, it leads people to think that if they're not having these personal revelations, there's something wrong with them. And I don't think that's true, obviously. And two, obviously it's destructive because, as we pointed out, a lot of the times they do contradict what Scripture actually says, or they contradict something that someone else's personal revelation has already said. And so it becomes very problematic very quickly from a doctrinal perspective, too. Right. Mm -hmm. And I like like what Calvin said a little little bit further down, where he says, uh, whose spirit are they using to mock the word? Because they can't say that it's the Spirit of Christ, because then they would be saying that uh, what the apostles and the prophets and the early believers were illumined by, that that wasn't the same Spirit. Um, so it really has to come down to that if they're if they're using if they're if they're mocking the Word of God, then they're doing it from a Spirit that is not from God. Um, and so it's either it's either from Satan himself or or from their own sin. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask if, uh, and I actually think I might rephrase this question, um, but uh, I was going to ask for modern examples of uh, rejecting the scriptures but claiming Christ as their spiritual inspiration. But I think that's actually, um, I mean, I think I've come to more examples of that. Do you guys have any personal um, anecdotes or have you witnessed this yourself? Because I don't know if I've actually witnessed this 
um, myself uh, personally. But I mean, I've seen through you know examples and online with videos of uh, different sects kind of going this. But did you have you guys actually witnessed this in person? Yeah. Yeah. I I I guess go, I'll speak go to for mine it. quickly, um, and I really hate to do it because I feel like I I really rag on them and I I do love them and I want them to find Christ, but I do think that unfortunately the LDS tend to be a common source for this personal revelation thing. And so just to give you an example, um, I went to get coffee, actually, of all things, with a couple of LDS gentlemen. They obviously did not partake, uh, which I was puzzled (laughs) why they invited me to go to coffee if they knew that they weren't going to drink coffee, but whatever. I didn't drink coffee You either. don't drink coffee no, either. No, yeah. So I was there sipping my cocoa, and I think they were nursing some tall glasses of water. Um, and by that, I'm not referring to Matthias, who's a tall drink of water, but literal. I just winked. You didn't see yeah. it, but I winked at you. But anyway, I guess getting to the point in your question, Travis, um, one question that I always like to ask people who are not believers is what would it take to convince you that the gospel is true as I've presented it to you? And the answer that uh, a couple of them gave was, I would have to have a dream from the Lord. And to me, I thought, well, dude, I like dream that my bed is made out of tapioca pudding that doesn't convince me of that, you know, imminent reality Um, And so they, as a group, put really heavy emphasis on uh, personal revelation through dreams and visions. And so to me, that's an example of a time that I've had someone, you know, point out to me that God would really have to make this clear personal proclamation to them in the form of a dream for them to change their theology. Yeah. I think that's a really, I think that's a, I think that's a perfect example. And I think that, um, the way that the LDS is working at this moment, um, with their 15 living apostles and having a new revelation on sexual morality, I think that's, I think that's a perfect example. Um, for me, I, I've, I've talked quite a bit about the fact that I kind of went through a charismatic phase. Um, and I can tell you that when I was, when I was in that, you know, group of people. That's where I heard most of the, most of the time that, oh, you know, those, those other, the, the, the other side of the, the aisle, they, they believe the Trinity is the father, son, and the Holy Bible. Um, they neglect the spirit. They reject the spirit. They quench the spirit, um, which Calvin talks about here in, in two sections. They talk, he talks about quenching the spirit, but yeah, I, I, I can't even, I can't even tell you how many times, um, I was involved in conversations with people who, had had some kind of personal revelation or they had been shown a different interpretation of certain scripture. Um, it, there's just, there's too many, too many stories to really recount, but it, it was, it was all over. Apparently I run in uh, a lot holier groups than you guys. <laughs> I repent. Yeah. Uh, you should. Uh, and I was just thinking too, like, and this maybe isn't exactly the same thing, but I, I feel like kind of this, it's not exactly personal revelation, but almost this like emotional revelation, personal emotional revelation, uh, concept that I think has entirely infiltrated the Protestant kind of mainline churches. Um, I think this is clearly put on display in, um, in 
music worship, uh, and I'm not trying to start a worship war here on the podcast, but um, I I literally did go to um, a men's group event where a guy would go up and down the aisles during the music worship, and he would call out people who weren't raising their hands or weren't like sobbing or like amening, yes, lording, um, and he would tell them that if you're not being emotionally moved by this, then you're not experiencing the Lord, and. Yeah. That to me is just as pernicious, right? Because it's limiting God's ability to work um, through the word uh, as opposed to just musical stimuli or emotional stimuli. And so um, I would say that's probably a, a less stark example, but I think maybe because of that, an even more pernicious example of this idea of like, you have to personally feel and interact with these things if, to really, you know, be interacting and in fellowship with God. Yeah, no, I think that's a good example. Um, but it's so funny that the Bible in so many ways contradicts that type of, that, that type of, uh, emotional manipulation, um, it rejects the idea that God's word is not, this is continually, you know, changing and, and transforming. Um, Calvin, Calvin talks about how in Isaiah, God claims that his spirit will be upon us and his words won't leave us. And he says that we're ruled by both the word and the spirit and they're in union. Um, it's just so funny to me how, how easily, uh, men can be led astray by just their emotions or what they want to see rather than yeah. what is in the scripture itself. I mean, if they believe it hard enough, it's, it's no, what it was one of you two that, uh, the George Costanza quote, um, what is it? It's not, it's not a, it's, it's true. If you believe in it, isn't that it? I'm trying to remember now. Right, is that with the, the Mandalay industries or something? I think so, yeah. <laughs> or Vandalay, Vandalay Industries. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, un- yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Not untrue if you believe in it or something to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny is Calvin makes a really good a really good point uh, towards the end of section one where he explains that he makes the argument, you know, Paul was taken up into the third heaven, and when he comes back, he still points to the scripture as authority. You know, rather than the new revelation that he received while up there, he doesn't even talk about that. He points to scripture as the authority. Um, and I'm, I, well, I'm thinking right now of a certain aide in the White House that claims that she was taken up into the throne room of God. Um, and she's, she's talking about this brand new revelation and not pointing back to scripture as the authority. Um, now she has become the authority. And rather than do that, Paul does the complete opposite. And I thought that was a, I thought that was a really, really good and timely example. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I uh, highlighted that as well. And, you know, I mean, Paul was even so careful about that experience that when he's describing it, I believe in the letter to the Corinthians, he doesn't even refer to himself as the man. He just says, I know a man who was taken up into the third heaven. Mm. And so I think that that is a good model for us uh, to prioritize where we get our revelation. I mean, obviously, we should note that Paul's not discounting his experience and saying it's completely invalid, uh, but he is 
clearly more interested in what Scripture has to say than what he has just experienced. And he allows Scripture to inform uh, the experiences he's had and interpret those experiences through that lens as opposed to letting the experience to dictate reality. Right. And I, I think that's why Calvin added the point towards the end of this section where he says that the role, the office of the spirit is not to form new and unheard of revelations or to coin a new form of doctrine because he argues that doing so would lead us away from the received doctrine of the gospel. Um, and I think that's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's kind of the same argument that you're making, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, sorry. I was slow to get to my unmute button on here. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> and and uh, I think that that squares so nicely, and he refers at the end of that sentence, uh, but the goal of it is to seal on our minds the very doctrine which the gospel recommends. And I always love the imagery of a seal, uh, probably because I use wax seals when I write letters. But, uh, you know, a seal doesn't change the substance of what's already there. It just kind of codifies it and makes it official, you know. And that's exactly what the Spirit is doing. It's just confirming the authority behind this thing that's already in existence. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes well into what you had just said, not just the seal, but the before what Matthias said, leading into the second uh, section. Hence, it is easy to understand that we must give diligent heed both to the reading and hearing of Scripture if we would obtain any benefit from the Spirit of God. Um, and I keep I keep uh, drawing back to, you know, kind of my experience with uh, um, starting to understand Calvin and starting to understand Reformed theology. And it, it, if you look at the Reformers, they so often just, it's once again, point to the text. Like, what does it say? Get it on your minds. Know it. Um, but, uh, sorry, I just love pointing that out whenever it's, they keep pointing back to it. But, uh, what did you guys think about section two? I, I wrote down that exact same quote. I mean, it's, it's the first, it's the first sentence, but it really is, it's something that I think should be, we, we should be preaching to ourselves every day that we have to give diligent heed to the reading and hearing of scripture. If we're going to obtain, obtain any benefit from the spirit of God, um, it, it's almost like he implies, and I think he later pretty explicitly says it, um, without the reading and the hearing of Scripture, we cannot expect really to encounter the Spirit of God. Um, I, I, do, I don't know. Do you, guys, do you guys see that in your own lives? Absolutely. I mean, and, and what's more concerning is the lack of it that I see in other people's lives, and at times my own life too, right? So obviously I go through seasons where I'm not as faithful in my morning quiet time in the Word, um, or, you know, even if I'm in it, I'm not focused in and praying consciously for the Spirit to lead me in, you know, understanding of the, the Scripture I'm reading. Uh, what's so concerning to me is the apparent lack of... Uh, accountability in the local churches and obviously it's always dangerous to speak in broad strokes and to you know speak generally about the church in America but I've been in several churches where I feel like there is not as big of a push for people to crack open their Bibles Monday through Saturday 
as there is uh, to do more ministry things or stuff. And obviously, I'm all for, mm. you know, doing, you know, this fundraising thing to raise thing, uh, funds for, you know, the next mission trip. And I'm all for sending people on mission trips. And I'm all for, you know, doing things that service the, um, the poor in the community or those who are facing hard times. It's great. We're commanded to do that. But I see as a trend more of a push uh, and emphasis on acting in a godly way and being a part of godly ministry than actually spending time to understand what it means to be godly, which can only be determined by reading scripture. And so why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that people are more likely and more much easier to, to do stuff rather than to read and to, can to I actually, scripture? no, I can totally I wanted to monopolize yeah. the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, just something that's been true in my life is people fear the scripture. They fear defending things they're not going to be comfortable with. So instead, they want to point to these good acts they do. Right, and mm-hmm. and I think that would also explain the other phenomenon I see. Of, I know a lot of people who are pretty faithful in making time with the Lord, but they're not reading scripture. scripture. They're reading some sort of a digested devotional. And again, those can have their value and their place, but sometimes it's kind of scary the things that devotional authors extrapolate from texts. Um, I was told last week about an inspirational devotional that was referencing um, the language quoted was, if you bow to me, I will give you, you know, all this creation. Well, the reference to the scripture, it's actually the words of Satan talking to Jesus <laughs> when he's being tempted in the desert. And, and that's terrifying to me. Like, I mean, that's holy cow. Uh, but anyway, um, but even if it's not, you know, something as dramatically wrong as that, I mean, there have been times even with people as respected as Oswald Chambers in his devotion, My Upmost for His Highest, where I go in and I look up uh, the reference scripture, and it has nothing to do with the devotion that he has written, and it's totally void of context, and prob- oh, yeah, yeah, oh, really? multiple times. Oh, I own that. I was I keep planning on reading that. Is that I, I mean, again, I, I think I as that. far as devotions go, it has a lot of okay insights. Um, but no, I always and I harp on my Sunday school kids on this, and I know they all hate me for it. But like, I make them physically open a hardcover <laughs> Bible and turn to the passage anytime I'm quoting one, because for all they know, I could just be quoting Adolf Hitler to them. And so I don't trust anyone when they just like blindly uh, reference, you know, a scripture and move on, especially if they say you don't need to turn there. I'm like, hmm, sounds like I probably should turn there because <laughs> maybe you're not telling me the full story here. And that's not always the case, but I mean, well, I, I'm a huge advocate of going straight to the source and finding that context. Right, and Calvin makes the exact same argument, right? He says, uh, we need the Spirit to be easily identifiable because even Satan appears as an angel of light. And we need to be able to be aware of the falsehoods as they come at us, or otherwise, who knows? Somebody could be literally quoting Satan, like Aaron's example, and we're just, we're, we're blindly following it. Um, 
And so to say to say that it's uh, he he later on says that there are those who say that it's an insult to confine the spirit to the Bible, um, but I mean in in reality, that's the the spirit was within the word, and so to confine it to what he has said and to not contradict it seems not not like an insult. It seems like the opposite of an insult. Right. Um, I just wanted to say real quick. I don't think I've actually told. I may have spoken this before, so you can stop me if uh, I've already recorded this on the podcast. But I think the greatest sales pitch I ever heard for reading the Bible was um, we were up in uh, uh, Colorado for this, uh, I think it was Life Impact or something, I don't know, through Christian Challenge. And uh, the main speaker, his name was Max, and I can't remember his last name. It wasn't Lucado, um, but it was this old, old man. I mean, he was the oldest speaker, and that's saying something because they all were old. Um, I hope to be. I hope to be one of those one day. But um, he was just very frail, and he spoke very soft. And I think my favorite thing he talked about it was that, like, if he has not gone through the day without reading his Bible, like if he's laying in bed and he real, it's like two in the morning, he'll wake up or like whatever he, and it'll be like he has got to get in the scripture. So he goes no reason. He says there was nothing I would rather do than uh, in my day than read the Bible. And he says. And I've been to Disneyland. <laughs> that was by far my absolute favorite sales pitch for the Bible. No, I think that's. I think that he should. Uh, he should coin that. He should, he should yeah. trademark that. I mean, I can believe that. I've never like opened up my Bible to read and had like screaming kids come running out with like runny noses, and that definitely happened to me at Disneyland. So. Yeah, and you lost the. Uh... The game, the child dodging game, on the very first children are not spatially aware creatures. If you didn't know, <laughs> but no, I I think that the second section, I I, I wrote it down. I summed it up like this, where he said, um, "There's a reason that his word was put down in a book." I said that we have a record of who he is, what he's done, and if anything contradicts it, then we can have full assurance that it is false. Um, and I think that those who would claim that we're putting God in a box are opening themselves up to receiving more falsehood than truth um, because there's no way for them to know who the spirit is if they're getting, if they're having all of these different voices coming in from all different directions um, rather than seeing what he said. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a really good argument I think what he lays out in the first two sections is probably the best argument for um, and and I always scriptura. think that it's kind of an ironic criticism when people say that you're putting God in a box by limiting to him what is said in scripture because um, I think people come at it with this heart of um, you know we don't want you to take anything away from God and obviously scripture itself tells us you know do not take anything away from this book and don't add anything to it and they forget about that last part where their personal revelation does nothing has you know at best only reiterates what's already there but at worst is very much adding to it and is oppositional to it Exactly. Um, in section three, I did have a question for you guys. Um, he starts off by saying, Their cavil about our cleaving to the dead letters carries with it the punishment which they deserve for despising scripture. 
what what is he, what's the punishment i didn't i didn't understand that sorry the punishment for it uh, says it says uh i'll read it again the, it's the very first sentence of section three it says their right, cavil sorry, about our cleaving to the dead letters carries with it the punishment which they deserve for despising scripture and i just i don't know what he means i mean if they don't hold the scriptures what does that mean about their faith and if they don't have any faith what does that mean about their salvation so you're saying that the punishment that comes with it is is damnation. So basically, those who would say that you know don't put God in a box, um, or say that the scriptures aren't the say you know the I end all. You're if, saying if that that's imp- it, if what he's saying here is that like because what he's talking about is the spirit, and if you deny the spirit, I mean it's it, you're denying a portion of God. I mean maybe I'm off here. I could very well be off, but. Well, I mean, that was my first thought too, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to figure out if it's really a salvation issue, whether or not you see the word of God as I have a couple of thoughts. Um, One is the way I kind of read this, and I understand that it's dangerous to try to read between the lines when it's a translation from French, which is a very flawed language in itself, just by virtue of being of the French. Um, Just kidding. I love the French. They're wonderful. They have good fries and toast. Um, (laughs) Anyway, now that I've alienated our French listeners, um, I kind of read this in the same way that I read when Jesus is talking about anger. And he says, you know, you've heard it said that you shouldn't kill your brother, but I tell you the truth. Even if you look at your brother and you say, Raka, you fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. That's kind of the same tone I'm getting here. People who are going to criticize the scriptures and say that, um, you know, that this uh, is a dead letter are putting themselves in danger of a slippery slope to hell because if you start writing off the scriptures or limiting the the ability or authority of the scripture, um, how can you have any assurance in your salvation? Well, I guess that makes sense. And I think that kind of plays into what Travis was saying too because he has made the point previously, and he makes it here in a little bit, that... Um, assurance of the scriptures comes from the spirit himself right and so I guess if you don't have the assurance of the word of God then you don't have the spirit granting you the assurance and so therefore are you are you one of his right I guess so I guess I, I can kind of see that that makes sense I would just be so cautious I, I don't know that I would rush into it like he does and make it a salvation issue yeah hmm well, because so. I've I've known people who I believe are genuine believers, um, but they don't they just don't they don't enjoy reading right, and so they kind of have to rely on other people to explain certain doctrines to them. Um, right. So I don't but know. I don't know if I would make distinction. that a salvation issue. So I don't want to embarrass you, Travis, but I mean, um. I think you would you would agree no, with ahead. me that one <laughs> I, of I, our <laughs> constant fights, especially when I was going through my cage stage, I think I criticized you pretty heavily for not actually reading the Bible itself. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because every every single argument I came up with was I feel, and I just messaged my cousin today saying 
I'm like so much more now. Everything that has been stated by any of my friends is I or, or myself now is I know. And it's not to be smug. It's not to be... Well, I mean, it's to boast in Christ. It's to boast in what he's written. So, I mean, but to say, like, I mean, I didn't love Christ back then was incorrect. I absolutely did. I just had a right. misinformed uh, a misinformed interpretation. But it also depends what we're misinformed about. Because my misinformation was just about the way... Um, just the sovereignty of God and his his um, his true form in a, as a father figure in his adoption of us. Um Along with some other things, but I mean, to say that um, I didn't accept Christ or the Trinity or any of that, I mean, yeah, that is correct. Right, I mean, and I, so what I'm I mean, I I was driving at there was, like, I know, Travis, that, I mean, it's not your favorite thing in the world to read, um, and I think there's a big difference between someone who doesn't enjoy reading or isn't reading the scriptures as faithfully as they should and someone who calvin's referring to here in this first sentence who says that they're referring to them as dead letters so basically implying they have no authority or they're not relevant which is a criticism our culture really loves to make of scripture um and correct i mean he, so he uses the term right again translated from the french despising scripture i think there's a difference between despising it and mm. not interacting with it as much as you should i feel like we all are guilty of the latter um to some extent and then you know not not everyone who isn't as good about reading it you know hates it or rejects it and so i think that um he's more so mm. criticizing those who are critical of scripture not just that they haven't read it mm -hmm. um so i think that's absolutely right um one thing i will say is uh leading into that it goes into uh um talking about paul it is clear that paul uh is there arguing against false apostles or sorry yeah yeah uh second corinthians uh three six uh, who by recommending the law without Christ deprived uh, the people of the benefit of the new covenant um, by which the Lord engages that he will write his laws on the hearts of believers and engrave it on their inward parts. So um, I actually looked up uh, 2 Corinthians 3.6 and um, what I got from it is it's talking about the letters of recommendation that they were criticizing Paul. He didn't have the letters of recommendation. And um, what he's talking about is that Paul is saying um, you don't need letters of recommendation to these believers. You don't need letters of recommendation, but that we are the letters of recommendation and that these letters are sealed or official by the spirit. Right, right. Cause he's arguing against those who would recommend the law without Christ. Um, and so I, I'm guessing that those are people who would claim some kind of authority through the law. And he's mm -hmm. saying not the law doesn't give us our ministry. The spirit gives us the ministry. Right. Um, but he also talks later on about how Paul uh, very clearly says to continue on going to the scriptures. I'm trying to find that right now. Sure. Real quick while you're finding that. I also have just a side note that connects to this. I said, if, um, if we validated ourselves by the law or by letters of recommendation, we would only be seeking approval by man. Right. And, we, we'd never get to that point. We'd, we'd always fall short. Yeah, I think, right. Matthias, the portion you're referring to is later on in that same paragraph. He says, 
uh, Paul, in the same passage, the apostle calls his own preaching the ministration of the Spirit, intimating that the Holy Spirit so cleaves to his own truth as he has expressed it in Scripture that he then only exerts and puts forth his strength when the word is received with due honor and respect. So, right. Yep. Oh, no, well, that's I think really that's, all I had to say yeah, is I think that that's what he's talking about where, um, you know, he's not just relying on his personal experiences, but he's pointing out that it is of the Spirit and is completely reflective of the truth that is already there. Right. And that the Spirit will put forth. When the, when the Word is received and revered, the Holy Spirit will be revealed. Um, and, and he talks about that here in a little bit where he says um, that we are we basically we can't be certain of the power of the word until the spirit gives testimony to that word. Um, and he's made that argument a few times now where he says that, you know, we can't be sure of the assurance of it. We can't be sure of the weight of its authority. And now he's saying that we can't be sure of the power of it until the spirit reveals it to us. Um, and so my thought when I read that was, does that kind of make apologetics a fruitless pursuit? And so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys that. I'm question. ready to field this, but I want to give Travis an opportunity if he wants to jump in. Sorry, I just got a message from my wife, and I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. Okay, so, well, Travis and I uh, actually ahead, talked about this uh, last week because um, we were talking about apologetics and. I always, well, I always, always quote Dr. Sproul, um, but with this particular topic, I do the same. Uh, so Sproul <laughs> always described apologetics as having the primary purpose of encouraging the believer. Uh, and I actually like the way that Ravi Zacharias put it once where he said, uh, never argue anyone into Christianity because the next person will come along and argue them out. So people don't become Christians because they're persuaded by intellectual right. proofs. People become Christians because the Holy Spirit has regenerated them. Uh, that said, I wouldn't say apologetics are useless because they're inevitable moments in all of our walks with the Lord where we start to feel uh, doubt and our faith wavers. And that's when we can turn to apologetics and writings of people like Calvin who lay out very clearly why we can trust the scriptures, why we can trust the atoning work of Christ. And I think that it will be kind of an adrenaline shot to someone who already has the Spirit. However, I don't think that they're useful in terms of, um, I don't think they'll ever save a non-believer, because um, I personally, you know, I've been attempting to minister to non-believers pretty faithfully, at least for the last seven years, and I've never met one whose true objection to Christianity was some intellectual issue. It's always been, they've been wounded by the church, they've been wounded right. by religion. There's some deep-seated um, enmity between them and God, and it's not some intellectual objection. Uh, but I do know many Christians who have had uh, times of doubt in their faith, and they've read up on an apologetic on a particular topic, and they've restored their confidence. No, I think, yeah, I think that's a really good answer to it um, because I've, I've kind of been struggling with that lately because I, I love apologetics. 
Um, I love debates. I love watching them and listening to them. And, uh, sometimes I get into them. Um, but I've always kind of wondered in the back of my mind, you know, what, what good is this truly doing for the kingdom? Um, because I do believe that it's the spirit who quickens us and awakens us and regenerates us. And no matter how good of an argument I give, which is very, I very rarely give a good argument, but if I were to give a good argument at any point, you know, what, what good would it actually do? And so I, that's why I, that's why I wrote that question down. And that's why I asked you guys. Sure. Um, I will just say real quick, I'm a big believer in, uh, um, just scientific proofs. And I think there are absolutely ones out there or more philosophical proofs of the existence of God. Um, mainly, like I said, my before, my favorite, the Aristotelian, the unmoved mover, or uh, as I like it, the unactualized actualizer with action potentials and everything. But uh, like Aaron said, in my opinion, it's not always what you say, but how you say it. Because one of the things I noticed uh, with the, the antifreeze uh, debate, um, as it will forever be coined, <laughs> was even though I thought um, Jeff Durbin and uh, Dr. White didn't do their best proofs or didn't do their ever, everything they could, Dr. Clark raging against them was so eye-opening, I feel like, to so many people probably that even if they didn't argue the best, they still came off looking a heck of a lot better than he did. Sure. Anyway, um, but we can probably start wrapping things up. We kind of went... Yeah. Yeah. So we were intending to. I think we had a lot of great discussion today on the spirit and the spirit's role within and working with uh, the Word of God. And so I, I have so appreciated this discussion with you guys. And I think it's been a good reminder for me that uh, God has always interacted with His people um, with the same message, and sometimes He does it. Um, through the Spirit, and sometimes He does it through His Word, but they'll always be consistent with each other. And I think Calvin does a great job of explaining that we have to test the spirits with the Scriptures. And so I've really enjoyed this particular tiptoe through the tulips with you guys. Uh, thanks. Oh, did you have something to say? Same. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all for joining no, said, yeah, us. Same. Uh, next week we will get into chapter 10 and a lovely, lovely discussion on uh, the true God opposed, uh, as well as all the gods of the heathen. And so I'm looking forward to that dialogue as well. But until that time, thanks for joining us and keep persevering. And thank you for fighting Flying Spirit Airlines. <laughs>